For over a decade, my family and I have lived and served in a community that, for decades, through both intentional and unintentional decisions, has been a space of concentrated poverty. And when a community is forced to live in a space of concentrated poverty, uh, it's not uncommon to not have the money for bus fare, not have the money for food, not have the money for other needs, ha not have the money for other desires. And so uh, it's very common, and it has been very common, um, for us to be asked for money. And, you know, we've been serving here long enough and walked with others who have served both short-term and long-term. And there's this conversation that continues to come up. What do you do when somebody asks you for money? What is the loving thing to do? What's the responsible thing to do? What if they use the money for something else? What if you don't have the money? And these are good questions. Um, there are also questions that don't always have a clear, easy answer, at least not in the way that we would want it. I know a number of people who uh, follow the rule that they never give money. And I can understand the line of thinking behind it, but I think approaching this with what we won't do misses the opportunity to approach it saying what we can do. And I was talking to my wife the other day. Uh, after an interaction, I realized whether or not I have money to give, whether or not I want to give the money, I can always give something in an interaction. And that something, at the very least, can be dignity. Knowing that that person is not simply somebody asking for money. That person isn't however I want to categorize them. That person is a child of God fearfully and wonderfully made, created in his image. And I can interact and engage with that person from that position, not simply as someone asking me for money. A friend of ours who we've known for a few years, um, who often asks for money, uh, came up to me one day and was asking for $5. Now, at the time, I didn't have $5. But I realized that this was an opportunity to just interact with her as a sister as uh, someone made in the image of God. And so I said, hey, I don't have any money to give, but I would like to pray. But let me tell you where I'm coming from with this prayer, because I haven't received a paycheck since November. And we have had to rely on God for provision, and he has provided, sometimes with money, sometimes in ways that don't even make sense. And so when I pray for you to get that $5, it's not just a quick prayer to get you out the way. This is a prayer that I believe God will answer because he is provider. And so we prayed together, and then we ended up talking for another 10 minutes about who God is and how he works. Uh, I was able to share my story. She was able to share her story. And then as we parted ways, I said, hey, I'm going to ask you later uh, how God answered that prayer. Well, a few days later, she was walking by, and she said hi as she passed. And then I was like, hey, did God get you that $5? She's like, yes, he did. And then she followed up with, hey, you had mentioned a Bible study that you go to. Um, so that's this Wednesday at 1230. And I was like, yeah. And it was just a really beautiful moment that mm, 10 years ago, I could have just seen in that interaction an issue of, do I give her money or do I not? How will she use that money? Is that okay? But God has brought me to a place of realizing that she is no different than me. I'm no different than her. We are all broken people, but who are all created by God. And we are all people that God is calling back to him. And that I don't have to be anything but someone walking alongside her. In fact, I shouldn't be someone that positions themselves over her. And so 
today I, we're going to hear a story uh, from a friend of mine, Jesse Carmichael, who uh, is currently helping run the uh, Richmond location of YWAM Virginia. And I'd heard that he had a story to tell that wasn't necessarily his own. Part of it is his story, but it's a story of his friend Lawrence. And Lawrence, due to some health issues, uh, wouldn't have been able to share this story um, fully. Uh, and so Jesse stepped in. And and it's a beautiful story for a number of reasons. But I want you to hear that it it points out our opportunity to walk alongside others. When we look at Jesus in Scripture, while the Pharisees saw people for their problems, saw people for their sins, saw people for their uh, begging, saw people for their... You, you name it. While the Pharisees categorized people, Jesus walked alongside people. He sat with the woman at the well and talked to her, even though there is a million reasons why others said he shouldn't. He touched the lepers, even though there is so many reasons why others said he shouldn't. He ate with the, you know, those that people qualified as sinners. Jesus connected with people, not for an agenda, not because he was better than them, because he loved them and because God had called him to love them. And we had that same call. We are to love God and love others. And so uh, I encourage you to listen for your own opportunities uh, to love those that God's placed around you, to love your neighbor. This is episode 22 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And just for the stories um, that you are constantly telling in and through our lives. And I thank you for the story uh, that you've given to Lawrence. And I just mm-hmm. um, I just pray that the Holy Spirit's welcome here. Um, and whatever the Holy Spirit wants to tell this story, I pray that we wouldn't get in the way of that. In the Spirit's holy name, amen. amen. So you are not Lawrence. No, I'm not Who Lawrence. Who are you? What's the one to two sentence who you are? Uh, my name is Jesse Carmichael, and I'm on the leadership team here at YWAM Richmond. And I've uh, been here for the last seven years, working mostly in our ministries department, a lot of local ministries, urban outreach, stuff like that, but as well with some of our trainings and international schools and things like that. Um, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. me. So one of the first uh, lunches that I had here when I started volunteering, uh, I met a guy named Lawrence. Yeah. And someone was like, hey, you, you need to, have you met Lawrence yet? You need to know Lawrence. Who is Lawrence? Yeah, well, I'll just say Lawrence is a dear friend of the community. And I met Lawrence um, because he's a friendly guy. And I met him probably four years ago. And he lives in the neighborhood, in the same neighborhood as the YWAM campus. And I met him through my friend Sam. He had run into him somewhere. And um, once Lawrence knows you and knows where you live, he will come to visit you. (laughs) Because that's how he spends his day walking around, visiting people, hanging out. And uh, at the time, I was meeting with Sam and, and our good friend Dan every Wednesday morning to pray and uh, talk about the Lord and just dream and vision together about what we should do in ministry and where things are going. And uh, one day, Lawrence stopped by in the morning while we were having our morning meeting, and that's when I met him first. And then from that point, he found out where I lived, and then we would see him 
you know, as he walked and made his rounds to the neighborhood. And uh, we were always friendly. So that's how I met him. One of the things that came out, he was hanging out with us a lot and, and hanging out with us more and more. And um, as I got to know him, he, he was sharing some aspects of his story. And he's, you know, fun, friendly guy. And he's asking us what we do. And, you know, we're always praying and worshiping and talking about the Lord and doing ministry. And he liked us. He liked hanging out with us. Um, but he shared with us that he's like, yeah, you know, I'm really having some trouble um, having, you know, family issues. And uh, I'm really struggling with a, a crack addiction. Mm. And so we were like, oh, wow, okay, man. Well, you know, we can pray for you or, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, we talked about the different reasons, maybe why that was rough for him. And he said he had been struggling with using crack for 20 years and it was mm. hard because it was a lot of crack dealers in our neighborhood. So it was just all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was... Um, fairly disabled because he had had I think at that point four strokes that had really damaged the right side of his body Um, so turning to drugs that made him feel good was something that was very hard for him to get away from but you could tell he wanted to be in relationship with us and so um, two years ago I had just moved into the house that I live in now and at the time my next door neighbor was the crack dealer and uh, I knew this, it was bad news. The guy was super shady. I mean, there were prostitutes operating out of his house and all kinds of stuff. And we were trying to kind of build a case against them and get rid of the drugs from the neighborhood. But Lawrence was telling us, oh, I'm really struggling. Oh, I screwed up, I smoked crack again. Oh, I went over to so-and-so's house, the dealer's house. And you know. And what I told him is I said, hey, Lawrence, um, I realize this is a struggle for you. We'd like to do anything we can to help you. Why don't you just like, when you feel like you want to go over there, just come to my house instead. Mm. And I'll give you some food. We'll have coffee together. We'll talk. I'll pray with you or whatever. And maybe in that way we can help give you strength to to fight this addiction. And so uh, he started showing up at my house frequently, Mm. you know, like whenever he's in the neighborhood. And so as often as I was there, I would just invite him in. Um, I'd make him food. We'd share a latte or something like that and uh, just hang out. And one day he showed up at my door and I mean, usually these were like short visits, but this turned into like a really long visit. He showed up in the mid afternoon. So I made him coffee and made him snacks and we just started talking and we were sitting at my dining room table chatting and chatting. And uh, he was asking questions about why do we do what we do? Why do we serve and why do we love the Lord so much? And, you know, why he's having such an amazing experience every time he encounters someone from our community. And we were talking about that for a while. I wasn't trying to evangelize to him or anything. I was literally just telling him who we are and why we love the Lord. And um, after a while, I realized it was dinner time. So I, I kind of went all out. I whipped up a steak dinner and we had some pie for dessert. And we just had this amazing meal together. My wife wasn't at home at the time. So I'm used to cooking for somebody. So had this great dinner with Lawrence and we continued to talk and he started talking about our friend Sam and he said, oh man, Sam's a great guy. Yeah, he's a really great guy. Man, just an incredible guy. He just really loves Sam. And I told him, I said, yeah, you know, he really is. I love that guy a lot. Um, You know what though? Sam wasn't always a great guy. And so I started sharing some of uh, what I know about my friend Sam's testimony. And Sam's come from a, a rough background, family issues, addiction issues, 
all sorts of issues. Uh, but the Lord delivered him, and he's a man of God now. And I, I told Lawrence this, and he was like, what? Like, he was so <laughs> shocked. Like, you guys, like, weren't always these, like, model citizens. And, uh, and, and then I told him some of my own story and, and some of my testimony and the struggles I've had and the ways the Lord's brought me through something. And what I did, I, I just asked him, I said, Lawrence, where are you at with the Lord? I just asked him. And, um, and he said, you know, I, he said, I want to, I want to believe, but I can't stop, can't stop smoking crack. And he realized that this like addiction and turning to this drug was like a, a barrier to his relationship with the Lord. And, uh, I said, you know, Lawrence, none of us by ourselves has the ability to stop doing the wrong things that we're doing. And so I, I pointed to parts of my testimony. I pointed to parts of Sam's testimony. These people that he loved and respected and wanted to be around. I said, look, I had no ability in myself to stop sinning. But when I surrendered to God, he gave me the power to be transformed. And he did the work. And he did the effort. And, and I wasn't, again, I wasn't trying to evangelize to him. I was, we were just talking. It was just a real conversation. And I started saying, you know, all you do, Lawrence, is you just literally tell God, God, I can't do this myself. And I need you to transform me. You know, I put my faith in you to save me, to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from them. And I want to trust you and follow you and allow you to make me right. And I was literally just like saying those words. And he started repeating every word that I said. And, you know, I'm like, I'm saying like, you know, uh, you know, Lord, I want you to come and transform it. He's like repeating after me. I said, I said, Lawrence, I said, do you want to do this right now? He said, yeah, yeah, I do. It's okay. You know, I mean, we're just sitting there after dinner. So I just led him through kind of a repentance and a salvation kind of prayer. And uh, it was just a tremendous time. It wasn't forced at all. The Holy Spirit had set him up over months yeah. of just friendship and conversation and walking alongside of um, people in the community, seeing the example. And he was hungry for it, but he just felt like his sin was keeping him from the Lord. And uh, I think, like I told him, he didn't have any ability before. But then after he gave his life to the Lord, he stopped smoking crack. Yeah. It was just like this amazing, and I know that doesn't happen for everyone. You know, addictions aren't always broken um, in everyone's testimony. But in this case, it was. It was just like he was different from that day on. He was different. And uh, we called up Sam the next day, and Lawrence was all excited, told him he gave his life to the Lord. And we baptized Lawrence in the James River. Yeah. And uh, he's joined a church. He just I had his membership ceremony recently at a church. And He's always here at the YWAM campus, at our worship services, eating lunch with us, hanging out, sometimes coming to our Bible studies, going on our outreaches. He just wants to be with the people of God. And uh, it's a tremendous testimony. And this is kind of embarrassing for me, but like the night Lawrence gave his life to the Lord, after he left my house, it was such a powerful moment. Like the Holy Spirit was so present and had moved so powerfully. This is not me. But I literally turned on worship music and like sang and danced for like two hours. Mm. I've never have done that in my life. <laughs> but there was something about that moment that was yeah. such a celebration. And the power of God was so evident in, in Lawrence's uh, 
testimony. And like the year after Lawrence gave his life to the Lord, I was so worried about him because there was still a lot of drug dealers in the neighborhood, even though some had been arrested. And uh, I was like, man, there's constant temptation. And uh, this one week, uh, we hadn't seen Lawrence for a while. So me and Sam went to go find him and check on him. And we talked to him and he had tried smoking crack once more. Mm. And uh, it made him sick. Mm. And he didn't do it again. I mean, and now it's, I mean, it's been two years and he's got to the point where uh, his son moved into his house with him. His son is like 40 years old, um, you know, kind of criminal dude and was selling crack out of his house. And Lawrence was real upset about that. He's trying to kick his son out, but his son didn't respect him. His wife was letting his son stay there and she didn't respect him either. And Mm -hmm. so he was having all these family issues. But this was one of the things that helped me know that Lawrence was like really transformed. He didn't want to be around it so much that he reported his son to the cops. And his son went to jail rather than live in the house with the drugs. He just couldn't, he he just kept telling me, I can't do that no more. Mm -hmm. I can't do that no Mm -hmm. more. And uh, so that was such a powerful testimony. And again, we see Lawrence all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, almost every day. He stops by my house still on Saturdays to (laughs) grab a bite to eat or, you know, he always wants to be a part of anything we're doing. And uh, it's such a blessing to have him as part of the community. Yeah. What I love about the story is um, I imagine that there are hundreds of people that Lawrence has walked by over the years yeah. that wouldn't even look at him, hmm. that wouldn't talk to him. If they did talk to him, they would try to keep it quick. They might assume Lawrence was just trying to get something from them. Hmm. Um, what... <clears throat> What pushed y'all to to see him? What pushed y'all to engage with him? You know, I'm not sure initially. Um, I think I became friends with Lawrence because he had already run into my friend Sam. Mm-hmm. And they were already on a, on a level of just joking with one another and enjoying being together. And so that was the context in which I met him. And so that was kind of the relationship that formed. For some reason, I don't know. I think the Lord was in it. You know, I think the Lord tied our hearts to Lawrence and we just loved him and and he's an older guy he, he doesn't dress well you know his body is damaged and he's you know kind of partially crippled from having a lot of strokes and he doesn't speak well um, but he's just an amazing friendly sweet guy mm-hmm. he's like 62 years old or something he's got nine kids yeah I don't know but there's just something he loves community and he loves mm-hmm. friendship and so I don't know, once you meet Lawrence, you can't, like, not like him, Mm -hmm. I think. And uh, and even if you wanted to, like, not be around him, he would still come and visit you, you know? And so he kind of took the initiative at some level to come visit, come find us out. We weren't at his house every day. He was at our house, Mm -hmm. you know? We Mm -hmm. weren't going to search him down. He was hungry for people who were, I think, willing to love him. You know, so for us, it wasn't a hard thing. He took the initiative. Yeah. And you say it's not a hard thing, but there's also the reality of, you know, y'all were practicing, you know, some would call it just availability, some would call it radical hospitality. Sure. But at any given moment, your home, you would put the invitation out that if you, you know, Lawrence, if you want to go to this house, come to my house instead. Yeah. And so at any given moment, he could just show up and whatever your plans were would have to change. Whatever food you have might have to be split. It's like that to this day. He... He came by last night, <laughs> mm-hmm. so he got some taco salad because mm-hmm. that's what I was making last night. You know, um, he 
he just stops by and he always knocks the same way he goes like kind of like that like <laughs> you hear that knock yeah and uh every time yeah so yeah it's a regular occurrence but uh yeah i mean every now and then you feel like oh you know i don't know if i have time to mm-hmm. make something but there's always something you can do you know mm-hmm. whether it's just a cup of coffee or just a a, a little snack mm-hmm. of some kind yeah. you know make a peanut butter sandwich or you know whatever you have on hand you got a little pack of chips mm-hmm. or a little pack of cookies maybe you can't stay maybe you have to leave but but maybe he's in the neighborhood doing yard work and you yeah. can give him a little bag with a little yeah. snack in it or a lunch or you know a bottle of water or anything mm-hmm. and and i i think you're right it wasn't that we were going out looking for it but we, our hearts were open yeah we were gathering praying together and the lord just basically brought us somebody yeah. who we could minister to and i think that um that openness to the Lord to be used by God mm-hmm. and the willingness to be hospitable can really yeah. open a lot of doors in people's hearts. Yeah. And it's cool to see how our human minds will, would put a lot of value to our time or to our resources or to our money or to our convenience or to our comfort. Um, but when we are available to God, God can show the tremendous value that can come from what he wants to do. And, you know, like you share, it was a long game thing, you know, and you didn't go into it with ulterior motives like, well, I'm going to invest in him so that I can fix him. Right. You know, you were just uh, patiently, consistently just making yourself available. And as a result, whatever expense, you know, you tally up for your lost time and lost sandwiches (laughs) cannot compare to what happened that night oh, absolutely. like the value of the moment that his life utterly changed and transformed and and if you were given the option of giving all of the sandwiches in time you ever you would do it oh absolutely yeah yeah and you know i think we spend a lot of our time especially when you're in ministry thinking like what important ministry thing am i going to do today mm-hmm. i'm going to go evangelize these people i'm going to go teach this course i'm going to go reach out to this start this program whatever 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 and we seek to see salvations in these things we want everything we do to be fruitful but honestly that was the most informal and yet the most like powerful conversion experience i've seen with someone where it like wasn't our effort it wasn't going out and trying to convert somebody. It was literally just God drawing somebody's heart mm-hmm. and literally being uh, just a very uh, willing vessel, I guess, yeah. you know, to allow God to transform someone. It's like, you know, I don't have, I can, I can give fancy words to a lot of people and try and convince them, mm-hmm. you know, that Jesus is the way. Um, but I just, that, conversion was just a incredibly sovereign experience and i know every every um every conversion of anyone to christ is just a powerful miraculous moment but i'll just tell you what it was so evident in that moment that it was completely real it wasn't forced it wasn't pressured and uh and then we've seen the fruit of it i mean and the fruit just began like immediately so it was really cool yeah and i love that about god how he can so you know, you you made the comment about how sometimes our approach can be like, I'm going to go and like right. do this thing. Uh, and sometimes the problem with that is we do the thing and then we kind of take some credit for it. But here is this moment that you didn't even see coming. You didn't know he would show up that afternoon. You didn't know he would stay for hours. Yeah. But what I love about God is not only did he transform Lawrence's life, but like you said, 
after Lawrence left, you spent two hours yeah. singing and dancing yeah. something not what you would normally do because nope. God also made some transformation within you. Yeah. I mean, there was such a revelation in my heart at that moment of God's love for people. Mm-hmm. And um, in the revelation of Jesus as the Savior. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, not just as the one who gives the teachings that we follow. or But just... Um, you know, I think in, in Psalm 51, I think it's 51. Is that the repentance psalm where David's praying? He prays, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And um, I, like in that moment, when Lawrence gave his life to the Lord, I had a renewed sense of jo- the joy of salvation. You know, and what a wonderful thing it is. And uh, we know that in heaven, the, the angels rejoice every time someone repents and I think maybe it was just tapping into that a little bit yeah. and into that understanding and it was a powerful time I mean there's never been another experience in my life that compared to that in the way that that affected me emotionally and the way that um, just how I guess enthralled I was with the, the glory of God in the act of salvation yeah. any final thoughts ah, I don't know <laughs> Yeah, well, God is good, and I think, I think what you you asked about the hospitality and the availability is a huge thing. But uh, the key to that story was just living life for God, mm-hmm. being willing and open to love the people who come into your path mm-hmm. as you go. You know, we go and preach the gospel, but it's kind of a as you go also. Mm-hmm. Just be open to the the opportunities, and um, yeah, don't underestimate the power of hospitality to impact the life. In Mark chapter 10, we find this story. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. There is so much in here. But what I want you to hear is we see a crowd seeing this man Bartimaeus in a very clear way. He was a blind beggar. And that knowledge shaped how they responded to him. For some of them, maybe they had seen beggars all along the road, and there was another one shouting at the top of his lungs, and they were annoyed by it. Maybe others had already given their money, and they're tired of somebody else asking. For others, like maybe the disciples, they knew how important Jesus' time was, and he couldn't be distracted by this blind beggar. The problem is when we categorize someone based on a problem or based on our perception of a problem, we are limited in how we can actually love them. 
So it's beautiful to me that when Jesus calls him and the man throws off his cloak and runs to him, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Because as he said that, no doubt the crowd around him and even his own disciples were looking at him confused saying, Jesus, he doesn't want to be blind. Jesus, he, he wants your money. But the reason Jesus said that is he didn't want to make an assumption of this man. He wanted to give this man dignity. So Bartimaeus responded that he wanted sight. And I don't want us to miss this. Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Not only did Jesus not make an assumption like everyone else and just assume this man was a blind beggar, but he gave him even more dignity in saying that it was his faith that healed him. Jesus was not taking the credit as though he was this amazing rabbi. He was taking the position of a servant and celebrating this man, Bartimaeus, who others saw as a blind beggar, celebrating him as someone whose faith was so strong, it brought him sight. And the disciples should have known because just before this interaction, before they set out on the road, Jesus said this to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even Jesus, the Son of God, sinless, powerful, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And how much more us? How much more should we give our lives for others? How much more should we serve? Look, we have so many of these interactions of Jesus loving others. We have stories like the Good Samaritan that are there to emphasize that our call is to love those that God places around us, not to determine who deserves to be loved, not even to determine how we're going to love, simply to step in obedience and let God love through us. And today, you're going to cross paths with someone who needs the love of God. And God is positioning you to provide that, not because you're something special, not because you have the things to give, but because we have been called not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives, to die to self. In the episode with Chris Lee, he talks about how one of his favorite passages is the one that says that as we serve others, we may actually be entertaining angels. You have no idea what opportunities God may be planting in front of you today. What interactions may be not only utterly transformative for that person, but for you. And you don't have to know how you're going to do it. You don't even need to feel like you have the capacity to do it. You just need to be willing to say, okay, God, as I'm walking down this road, let me hear the voice of those calling out. Let me be willing to say, come, let me be willing to serve and to love. Because the truth is, is that we were that blind beggar and we were crying out and Jesus heard us and he did not judge us. He saw us. He saw us. Not even how we saw ourselves. He saw us as we truly are and he loved us and he's restoring us. And as he does that for us, we have that opportunity to see and to love others. So go out today, open your life, open your home, 
open your time, open your resources, but open yourselves to those that God is placing around you. Love your neighbors. And he is going to do amazing, beautiful things far beyond what we can imagine. Because Bartimaeus' life was utterly changed. Jesus said, go, and Bartimaeus followed. Love your neighbor today, not because you're anything special, but because the God of the universe loves you and is calling us to love others. And as you find those opportunities presenting themselves, ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?